How many of you like to read? You're readers by nature, you just enjoy that? It's been uh, a good week to curl up by the fire with a blanket and a good book, hasn't it? When it's 30 below, that's a pretty good thing to do. I unfortunately haven't had time to do that, but I, I would enjoy that. Um, it's enjoyable to read. You know what it's like to, to get into a book, and it's a good one, and it kind of sucks you in. You get into the third, fourth, fifth chapter, and, and you can't put it down. You say, I'll just read one more chapter, and then you'll put it down, right? And you get to that chapter, but you've got to go on to the next because you want to find out what's happening. And before long, you've read the entire book, and now the hour is late, and this job list that you had in front of you is still staring you in the face because you didn't get anything done. Uh, if you're readers, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, how many of you would go to the shelf and pull down a book, open it to chapter four, read a chapter or two and say, huh, neat story, put it back on the shelf? It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? If you don't know chapters one to three, chapter four doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you haven't read to the end, there's no conclusion. We don't do that type of a thing. We want to get the entire story. And I think the same holds true with the Christmas story. Uh, What did we read here today? What did you listen to? We listened to Luke chapter two and a good part of Matthew chapter one and two. That's just one small snippet of this broader story. And it's kind of like pulling that book off the shelf, reading chapter 4 and 5 and saying, cool story, and putting it back on the shelf. We're missing some things. We don't understand why the story was written, and we certainly don't understand the conclusion, why, how it ends, because we're just getting this little part in the middle. Now, is this little part in the middle an amazing story? Absolutely. Are we blessed by the fact that God would come down as a baby and be born on this earth? We're blessed by that, but we don't understand the why, and we don't understand what the purpose was for all of that. So I'd like to take a few minutes today in the time we have left to help us understand the rest of the story. Now, I realize that this is a big book. I promise I won't go through the the whole thing. Um, We'll kind of take an aerial view, as it were, and just jump down on some highlights and hit some of the main thoughts here, because I think it helps to put the story in context. I think it helps us to understand the true wonder of what Jesus Christ did. Well, where do you begin every story? You go to the beginning. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything that we can see, the heavens and the earth. From the farthest star in the farthest galaxy to this little ball that we live on called planet earth, the plants, the vegetation, down to the smallest bacteria and microbe, from the biggest to the smallest, God created it all with his voice in six days. And at the end of those six days, he gets to the end and he realizes there's one thing left. It didn't surprise him. He knew he had a plan. God comes down to this earth and he does something different. He takes the dust of the ground and he forms a man. That's different than speaking it into existence. He could have done that. I think he demonstrates, he's demonstrating the importance of man in this creation. He forms man out of the dust of the ground and he breathes into him the breath of life. He makes us in his image and he gives us his life and his spirit. The Bible says male and female created he them. He puts Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden. We have no idea what that must have been like. We live in a gorgeous part of the country. Uh, Everybody wants to live in northwest Montana, aside from the few crazy people that want to move to Alaska. But it's the same idea. It's the same mentality. And we all want to be the last one in and close the door and don't let anybody else come in, right? That's the kind of the mentality we have. But can the beauty that we see here even compare to the beauty that must have been like in the garden? With no sin, no curse. So they're placed in this garden. They're given responsibilities to to tend to the garden by day, and then they get to enjoy the wonderful privilege of fellowshipping with God in the evenings. God would come down himself in the stillness and the quietness of the evening and fellowship, interact, walk and talk with Adam and Eve. Wow. 
That blows me away to think about that as well. Well, God gave Adam and Eve a test. Call it a test of loyalty. Call it a test of love, test of obedience. He says, you know, we've got this huge garden and there's trees everywhere and you can eat the fruit of any of the trees, but there's one in the center. And out of respect for me and to honor me, I don't want you to eat of the fruit of that tree. One tree to say no to, many, many more that they could freely eat of. Well, Adam and Eve were perfect, but the human nature is still human nature. And what do we tend to do? We tend to focus on the one thing we can't have instead of the thousands of things that we can have. And Satan got involved here. The Bible says he came down as a serpent, and he began to talk to Eve and to Adam, and he convinced them that they were better off following him than following God. God's holding out on you. God's withholding something good from you. He got them to doubt the goodness of God. It's not so different from the tactics he uses in our lives today, is it? Nothing else. He's had a couple thousand years, several thousand years to get better at, his, at what he does. But Adam and Eve listened to him and they ate of the fruit of that garden, of that tree in the garden, thinking it would somehow cause them to be like God. The punishment came just as God said it would. The Hebrew is pretty emphatic. Dying, you will surely die, is what the text says. And so they begin the process of dying physically. It wasn't instantaneous. They didn't eat of the tree, the fruit and fall over dead. But the process of dying began at that moment. The cells started to die within their bodies for the first time ever. Do you realize when a baby is born, they're actually born dying? They're just creating cells faster than they're losing them. And that's why they grow. And then you get to my age, and it's obviously going the other way. <laughs> right? And we all have experienced that. We understand. Some of you young people are still on the growth cycle. You're still on the way up. Enjoy it. Your day's coming. <laughs> that process began that moment when they ate of that fruit. But something worse happened. They, began to, they died instantaneously spiritually. This part of them that could relate to God and interact with God on that level was no longer alive. They died that way. And the results were terrible. They went from innocence to guilt. Can you imagine what that must have been like to be in a perfect setting and experience shame and guilt for the very first time? That must have been a weight that was overwhelming for Adam and Eve. They went from fellowship to fear, from walking with God in the garden to hiding from God in the garden. How do you hide from God? <laughs> you can't do it. They went from life to death. And sin affected Adam and Eve, but worse yet, it's been passed down to every human since then. And we see that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, where Paul says this, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, because all have sinned. And so it's more than just going back and blaming Adam and saying, I wish you hadn't done that. Man, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have done that. All of us would have been the same way. We'd have made the same decision that they did. But folks, it was passed down to us, and every single one of us have committed sin. How many of you have, had, have children? Babies are, are beautiful. After they're a few days old, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not one of those guys that says every baby's beautiful, because I've seen some that aren't. Not at, right at first. I mean, they went through a very traumatic process here. Let's give them credit, right? But right at first, I'm not going to say, wow, that's beautiful. Um, but over time, it's like, Wow. To think about those little fingers perfectly formed and the little nose and the little dimples in the cheeks. And I mean, they're beautiful. But it doesn't take real long interacting with them to realize that there's a sin nature going on. The first time that little baby screws up its face and kind of screams at you, <laughs> you realize there's something else going on inside. It's not just this perfect creature that it appears like on the outside. 
And as they get older, you never had to teach your children to lie, did you? You never had to sit down with your three-year-old and say, all right, honey, when you're playing with Joey over here and he's had that toy for 37 seconds, I want you to grab it and say, mine, and take it back. We didn't have to do that. Why? Because they were born with that. And as we get older, it doesn't get better, right? We struggle, we lie, we steal, we cheat. We look with lust. All the Ten Commandments that God says don't do, we, we've broken every single one of them. Say, so, well, I've never murdered anybody. Well, good, I'm glad. But have you looked with anger? Have there been times where if you knew you wouldn't get caught, you'd have been tempted to? Folks, there's not one of us here that's as bad as we could be. But every single one of us has sinned, and we've broken God's commandment. And so this situation put Adam and Eve in a, in a grim spot. But God had a plan. In fact, Peter tells us that God had a plan in place before he laid the foundations of the world. God knew that Adam and Eve would sin, and he still created them and still loved them anyway, but he had a plan in place to compensate for this. So God comes down to the garden, and he takes an animal, and we see the first, the first slaying of an animal, the first death that takes place on this earth, the life of the innocent to pay for the sin of the guilty. And that's an important theme to remember. That animal hadn't done anything wrong. But God took its life and he shed its blood and he made clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. And we see now sacrifices being offered. We see Cain and Abel. We see Job. We see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all offering sacrifices. For what purpose? To try to atone for their sin. To try to get back into fellowship with the God that they, that they want to have fellowship with. And might I say that wants to have fellowship with them. We move further into the story and we touch down with Moses. And now we see that these sacrifices start to take on a little more structure. God gives them the law and he says, here's how I want you to do this. And so different sacrifices at different times. And, and so lamb after lamb after lamb are slaughtered. Altar after altar after altar are built. And God's showing them that they can't come to him without the shedding of, of blood. And they can't come to him without that sacrifice being offered. I think he's helping them to see there's a futility of trying to come to God on, on your own. I can't imagine how hopeless that must have been. You sin and you offer another sacrifice. And you go along for a while and then you sin again and you've got to offer another sacrifice. But God was doing something here. He wasn't just holding out on, the, on people. He wasn't trying to make it seem so impossible. He had a plan in mind. You see, he's preparing the way for another lamb. A spotless lamb. A perfect lamb. One that could pay the sacrifice once for all instead of having to be offered every single day or every single week or every single month. And this, the book of John tells us, is called the Lamb of God. It's Jesus Christ. It's the one that we're worshiping today who came down and was born as a baby. Folks, that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's the whole purpose. I'm sorry, it's got more than, to do than just eggnog and presents. <laughs> and a Christmas tree, and all those trappings that we enjoy. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but it's way more important than that. It's way bigger than all of that. And you may say to, to me, Mark, why in the world are you talking about sin at a time like this? Sin is ugly. It is, and this is a joyous occasion, and Pastor Mark, you're kind of ruining the moment. Well, maybe so. But when you go to a doctor, do you want him to give you an accurate diagnosis? Or do you want him just to smooth it over and send you on your way feeling good about yourself? Man, if I've got cancer, I want to know. And time for that to be able to be treated. 
And so, folks, that's why we talk about this. Think about this thought. It's impossible to understand how good the gift of Christmas is until we understand how deep our need is. If I don't understand that I have a need, the gift doesn't mean anything at all. Maybe we could illustrate it this way. Let's suppose that you're a, a millionaire. It's a happy thought. Well, let's say it's a multimillionaire. You know, the inflation like it is, a million just doesn't go as far as it used to. So you're a multimillionaire. And you're at the coffee shop enjoying your frappa mocha latte, chino, whatever that frothy drink is that you like that you spent 12 bucks on. And, and you're sitting there and you're, you're drinking that. And somebody walks up and says, hey, can you step outside for a second? I've got something I want to give to you. And you walk out to the parking lot and he's got the keys in his hand. He goes, see that 2007 Toyota Sienna over there? I'd like to give that to you. Now, I know it's not a perfect car. We've driven it for quite a few years, and we've been able to get something better now, a newer version, but I'd just like to bless you with this. You know, it's got some scratches and some dings, and, you know, maybe a stain or two on the seat here and there, but overall, it's a great rig, and, man, with 150000 it'll go forever. Hey, here's the keys. I, wanna, I just want to bless you with this. You're a multimillionaire, and someone gives you the keys to a 2007 Toyota Sienna, and you're like, okay, <laughs> thanks, I, I think, Right? Are you going to go back inside just incredibly grateful for this incredible gift that's been given to you? Probably not. Let's switch the scenario a little bit here. Let's say that you're a young father. You've got three little kids. The last one had some health problems, and it affected your wife as far as the birth, and she's just not able to do everything that she used to do. She's barely keeping up around the house, let alone trying to work on the side, and you've got two jobs you're holding down, and you're just trying to make the ends meet. And it's tough. Every day you're up early and you're working hard, and it's not because of laziness, but you just can't quite get enough money to come in to pay all the bills. You're driving an old beater, and it's getting along okay, but you're putting money into it. You're coming back late at the end of your last shift, and you're hoping to get home because you want to spend the weekend with the family. You've got a couple days off for Christmas. You're about a half mile from the house, and you come around a corner, and you start to pull up a hill, and all of a sudden, as the car shifts down, it makes this horrible grinding noise and your heart sinks. You drop it in a neutral, and you kind of let it set for a little bit, and you put it back into gear, and it grinds even worse, and pretty soon it's not even going forward at all, and you just know the transmission is toast. How are you feeling at that point? You know there's bills to pay. You know you've got to be able to get to work, and now you can't even do that. You can't take your kids to school. You can't take your wife to the doctor. It's a sinking feeling in your chest. Well, you're not terribly far from home, so you grab what you need and you trudge your way up to the door and you go in and you're laying there in bed trying to figure out what in the world are you going to do. You have no possible way within yourself to solve this dilemma. Next morning, the doorbell rings and the same gentleman's there at the front door. Hey, I've got a 2007 Toyota Sienna. <laughs> you know, it's got some bumps and bruises and there's, there's a scratch or two here and there. It's not in perfect shape, but, you know, it's only got 150,000 miles on it. It'll run forever. And, and I just felt like I needed to bless you with this today. If you'll take it, I'd like to give you the keys to this car. If you go down there and look in the glove box, the title's in there. It's been notarized, and there's a bill of sale made out to you. I'd just like to bless you with this. If you'll take it, it's yours. Imagine how you would feel at that point. And then you go down to the car, you bundle the kids all up, and you run down there. And Are you even going to notice the scratches and the dents and the stain on the seat? No. You're going to be overwhelmed by how great of a gift has just been given to you. And you, you pop the glove box open just to verify that indeed there's something in there. And yes, there's the title. And it's notarized. And there's a bill of sale. And behind that, there's an envelope. And you pull that envelope up and you look and you just gasp because it's $100 bills. You begin to count them and it's $5,000. 
It's enough to pay the rent that's coming up, and it's enough for some of the medical bills you've been facing, and it's enough to title and license the car. And you're just blown away by this incredible gift. The same gift was given to two different individuals. What made the difference? One person had a need, and they understood their need, and that gift met the need. Let's take this now from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. Because you know in the spiritual realm, we all like to think of ourselves more as the multimillionaire. (laughs) We've got it all together. We don't have needs. I mean, we're good people. I dropped money in the Salvation Army kettle the other day, and, and I'm nice to people. If you talk to individuals on the street and you ask them, do you believe you're a good person, what do 99% of people say? Absolutely, I'm a good person. I look at this crowd today, and I know most of you, and I'd say, yes, you're good people from a human perspective. But what is the issue? Our need is, is greater than that. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're a lot more like that young father than we are like the multimillionaire. Our needs are deep. Our needs are great. Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The picture of that is a target set way out there, and you've got a bow and arrow, and you're trying to shoot and reach that target, but your arrows keep falling short. And so these targets of selflessness, God wants us to be incredibly selfless. That's, a, that's one of the things we're supposed to do. How many of us are selfless 100% of the time? Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your kids. Don't raise your hand if you look at your wife. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. None of us can hit that target. How many of us have never, ever responded in unrighteous anger? None of us. How many of us worry and fret over things that we have no control over? Those are just the ones, I mean, the obvious ones are the lying and the stealing and all of those things. We know those are true. And I'm not saying, again, that every single one of us is as bad as we could be, but inside every single one of us, there's the potential for some pretty ugly sin. All of us have come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has a need, and that's why we've got to talk about this at Christmas time. Folks, Jesus came to take care of that need. Let's kind of finish the story here. We don't have a lot of information about Jesus' early life. We hear a little bit. There's a two or three passages that mention it. <clears throat> but what it boils down to is he lived a perfect life. Never spoke in anger. Never had an impure motive. Never had a selfish thought. And the reason he did that, the Bible says he was tempted just like we were, yet he had no sin. And the reason that had to happen was because he was the lamb. And a lamb had to be without blemish, and it had to be without spot. It had to be perfect. So Jesus Christ came down to this earth and he lived a perfect life. The religious leaders took him and accused him of blasphemy for claiming to be God. Do you sense the irony there? (laughs) He was God. He is God. They couldn't see the truth that was standing right in front of them. There was a mock trial and though he was innocent, Jesus Christ was sentenced to die. The soldiers took him out to Golgotha and they put him on a cross. And he gave his life there on that cross for you and for me because the wages of sin is death. And he died in your place. And he died in my place. Because we couldn't do it for ourselves. His body was taken down from that old rugged cross and it was sealed in a tomb. But my friends, that's not the end of the story either. On the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He conquered death so that he could give us life. He paid our sin debt. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life. But this gift, the greatest gift that's ever been offered, has to be received. You can have gifts under the tree. You probably do. Maybe you've opened them last night. I'm not sure. 
But those gifts don't just open themselves. You've got to take it. You've got to receive it, and you've got to open it. And the same is true with this gift of Jesus Christ. It involves several things. It involves repentance. It's a big word. It just means turning from your sin, being sorrowful for that, recognizing your need. And it involves turning to Jesus Christ and believing that what he said about himself was true, that he indeed is the Son of God, that he did die on a cross in your place, that he did raise from the dead on the third day, and that he has the power to give you eternal life. And then you just receive the gift. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the children of God. What a wonderful truth that is. Folks, that's what puts the Christmas story in context. And it's not terribly complicated to understand. But it is kind of hard sometimes to admit, isn't it? Because none of us want to put ourselves in that simple condition. We want to see ourselves as the multimillionaire not the single dad that's struggling to make ends meet. But until we get to that point, can you imagine that young father refusing the gift of the car and the cash? <laughs> I can't imagine him doing that. It makes just about as much sense as one of us refusing the gift of Jesus Christ. All oh, my friends, do you know Jesus Christ today? <laughs> do you know him as more than a baby in a manger? Do you know him as the Savior from your sin? I trust you do. And if you don't, I'd love to take this book and show you more clearly how you can understand that today. What a great day to enter the family of God. Christmas 2022. The angels would be rejoicing just as much as they did when Jesus Christ was born some 2,000 years ago. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor Mark, I've done that. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I've made that decision years and years ago. But you know, I really haven't been living for him. I've kind of drifted away in my relationship with God. You know, if that's you, Jesus will take you back. <laughs> Every sin that we've committed in this life was future when Jesus died. You turning from him and straying away didn't surprise him at all. He wants to take you back. He'd love to have you back in fellowship with him. All you got to do is come. And turn from the sins you've committed and he'll bring you back into fellowship just like Adam and Eve had in the garden. Maybe you're here today and say, I've heard this story many, many times, and I love this story, and I'm walking in fellowship with my God. To the best of my ability, I'm just walking with him, and I'm praising him every day. Is there somebody that needs to know this story? Are you willing to go and take it and tell them? I think there's an application for all of us here today, no matter what situation you find yourself. What an incredible story, the birth of Jesus Christ. I thank you for joining us today, and I realize that maybe it was a little bit heavy as we went through that. But again, you've got to see your need before you can understand the tremendous blessing of the gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know him today? I trust that you do. Father, I thank you for the service that we've enjoyed together. I thank you for each one that participated in the music and in the scripture reading. I thank you for the reminder that we indeed have a need, a need that we can't meet. But Father, Jesus Christ came down to meet that need for us. And that's what we're celebrating today in all of its glory. From the beginning of the story to the end. And Father, I thank you for what happens when we put our faith and trust in you. I thank you for the new life that you give us. I thank you for bringing us into your family. I thank you for answering our prayers, for giving us hope and hopelessness, for giving us encouragement when we're down. I thank you for the church, a place that we can come together to get fellowship and get encouragement, the family that we have here and that we enjoy. Father, most of all, I thank you for the reminder that you're coming again. And you're going to bring us home to be with you if we've trusted you as your Savior. 
Father, you're preparing mansions for us in glory right now that we're going to get to enjoy for all of eternity. Father, what a wonderful thought, and it's all because of a babe in a manger that grew up to go on a cross, that raised from the dead, that conquered death so he could give us life. Lord, what a wonderful story that is. Help us to contemplate that and to think about it today as we go and enjoy time with our families later on. Lord, we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.